Now, I want you to turn to two passages of Scripture, Exodus chapter 20 and Luke chapter 16. Exodus 20 and Luke 16. We're in a series entitled Elevate, uh, Breaking Through to New Levels in Life. And we've talked about going to a new level in our faith, going to a new level in our family, going to a new level in freedom. And now we're talking about going to a new level in our finances. And I told you last week, when I wrote the book, The Blessed Life, I got all these emails from people saying, I'm giving, but I'm still in debt. And I don't understand that statement because it's like giving is a magic formula that we've preached in the body of Christ that if you'll give, you'll have a money tree in your backyard. It's not true. There are other financial principles in the Word of God that we need to live by. And so I asked George Grubbs to help me to write a book to follow up The Blessed Life. And he came up with the Ten Financial Commandments. And so last week we talked about the the first three, the Ten Financial Commandments, part one. This will be part two, and we're going to talk about the fourth, fifth, and sixth financial commandment, all right? So here's the fourth financial commandment. Thou shalt be a good steward. Thou shalt be a good steward. If you were here last week, I felt like these Ten Financial Commandments line up with the Ten Commandments. And so if you look at verse 8, the fourth commandment of Exodus 20 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Being a good financial steward lines up with with the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath because it's all about being a good steward. It's being the way the reason you remember the Sabbath day is so that you will steward the time that God's given you on this earth. You have seven days a week, and in order to be a good steward of those seven days, you have to rest one day. And I'm going to talk about this actually more when we get to fun, going to a new level in fun. I'm going to talk about learning to rest one day a week and learning to rest because that's part of it. But you have to understand, you've been given three main areas to steward. Your time, your treasure, and your talent. Your time, your treasure, and your talent. How are you stewarding those three main areas of your life? If you want to live a prosperous or a blessed life on this earth, you're going to have to learn to steward your time, which includes family, work, all of those things. You're going to have to learn to steward your treasure, your money, and you're going to have to learn to steward your talent. Every one of you has a talent that God has given you. No one else can do what you do. No one else can do what you do. But you can do something for the kingdom of God that God's called you to do and God's gifted you to do, and you need to steward that talent. Now, uh, in Matthew 25, you don't need to turn there, but all of us probably know there's, called a, there's a parable called the parable of the talents. And it's where Jesus gave five talents to one, two talents to another, and one talent to another. And then after a while, he came back and he said, what would you do with it? And the guy that had five talents made five more. The guy that had two talents made two more. The guy that had one buried it in the ground and then gave it back to the Lord. And the Lord gets on him big time. Have you ever read that? I mean, he just gets all over this guy. He scolds the guy. Now, when I was reading this this past week, I was thinking, you know, Lord, you could have at least commended him for not losing it. You know, you could have commended him for, for not investing in the stock market 1999 through 2001. You could have at least commended him for that because he would have lost it if he would have done something like that. But the Lord does not call maintaining faithfulness. Let me say this again. When you look at this parable of the talents, this one guy increases, another guy increases, another guy maintains what God gives him, and God does not call that being faithful. Maintaining is not Faithful, increasing, taking ground is being faithful. 
going farther with what God's giving you. Taking what God's giving you and using it as going farther. And then Jesus does something amazing. He, he scolds this guy for not at least putting it in the bank and getting interest. And then, this is what he does. This is amazing to me. He takes the one talent from the guy who only has one. He only has one. That's, he doesn't have another one. He takes the one talent from that guy and he gives it to the guy, do you remember this, who has ten talents. Ten talents. And then he makes this statement, Matthew 25, verse 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given. Have you ever felt that way, by the way? <laughs> and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Now, see, this sounds like Jesus is confirming what I've always known. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That's what it sounds like. I mean, this is the opposite. He takes the one talent from the guy that's only got one and gives it to the guy that has Ten. He doesn't even give it to the guy that has four. He doesn't give it to the middle class. He gives it to the rich. This is the opposite of Robin Hood. (laughs) Jesus took from the poor and gave it to the rich. That's what it appears to be. Now, listen to me. That's not what it is. It's not what it is at all. Because we know God's heart for the poor. If you want to get God's attention, by the way... Or if you just read through the Bible and you can find, you can get God's attention big time if you'll take care of three groups of people, the poor, orphans, and widows. You take care of the poor, orphans, and widows, and God will bless you if you do it with a pure heart. You don't do it to get blessed, but you do it because you really want to help people. You take care of those three groups of people, God, you'll get God's attention. I remember one time Debbie and I were, were uh, buying a house, and we were about to give a, a low-ball offer. You know, the first one's always to be the low-ball offer. And uh, uh, Debbie said to me, you better check and make sure that it's not a widow that owns the house. And so I said to the real estate man, is it a widow that owns the house? He said, no, it's not. It's, it's just a middle class dude, you know, regular guy. And uh, I, he said, why? I said, well, because it was a widow, she was going to give, uh, we were going to give her full price. Because we don't mess with widows. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's a middle class dude, we're sticking it to him. <laughs> so... We're okay with that. God's heart is for the poor. So this is not, this is not saying in any way the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That's not what this is saying. Let me tell you what this is saying. And it's not saying God takes from the poor and gives to the rich. It's not what it's saying. Here's what it's saying. God takes from bad stewards and he gives to good stewards. Why would God give influence, wealth, treasure, talent, why would he give that to someone that's going to waste it, that's going to blow it? When he looks down from heaven, what's he looking for? He's looking for good stewards. He's looking for someone that he can bless. Why? Because his heart is for the poor, the orphan, and the widow. His heart is for people that can't do for themselves, so he's looking for someone that he can bless so that he can channel all of his resources through that person to these people that need it the most. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for good stewards. So you have to understand, if one of the financial commandments, if you're ever going to get ahead in this life and not live paycheck to paycheck, you're going to have to become a good steward of what God's given you. Uh, Luke 16, if you want to flip over there, let me show you a couple verses. Luke 16, verse 10 says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. 
And he who is unjust is what is, in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, let me give you Robert's paraphrase of these three verses, all right? Verse 10 is saying, God is saying, if I can't trust you with a little, I can't trust you with a lot. That's what he's saying. If I can't trust you with the little that you have. See, most people think if I had a lot, I'd be a better steward. No. Here's what the Bible says. If you're not a good steward with a little, you wouldn't be a good steward with a lot, and you'll never have a lot. Never. Until you learn to steward what you have. In verse 11, here's what he's saying. If I can't trust you with money, I certainly can't trust you with ministry. In other words, if I can't trust you with unrighteous mammon, I can't trust you with true riches. What are true riches? True riches are ministering to people. Helping people, loving people. If I can't trust you, here's what God says. If I can't trust you with a dollar bill, I certainly I can't trust you with a soul. Because a soul is much more important. So until you learn to steward just this, this very unrighteous part of your life, you're not going to be able to steward a righteous part of your life. And then verse 12, he's basically saying, if you're not faithful with someone else's, I'm never going to give you your own. In other words, if you're not a good employee, you wouldn't be a good employer. You have to learn to do this. Now, let me tell you something about good stewards, all right? I know lots of good stewards, and they've helped me a lot in my life. All good stewards do three things. You need to get these three things. All good stewards do these three things. They spend wisely, spend wisely, save, and give. All good stewards do three things. They spend wisely, save, and give. I remember one time being in the car of a very wealthy man, and it was ten years old, this was back in the 80s. It was 10 years old, and it had an 8-track tape player in it. And he purchased an 8-track tape thing that you put in that goes into a tape recorder so he could listen to cassette sermons in his car. And he was, one, he was worth $1.2 billion with a B. Okay? And I said to him, why didn't you just get a cassette player for your dash installed? He said, well, the cassette player was $99. This was 19 That's why. All good stewards spend wisely. Every one of them. Spend wisely, save, and give. Now, let me tell you something about saving. You'll never be a good steward if you don't save. Do you realize that this was a lie of the enemy that went around the body of Christ, really, in the 80s, tremendously and in the 90s, and it was, if you live by faith, you don't have a savings account. That, that's actually opposite of what the Bible says. If you read Proverbs, it'll tell you who doesn't have savings account. You know who it says who doesn't have savings accounts in Proverbs? Foolish people. Foolish people don't save is what it says. Wise people save. And so this guy, I remember, came up and asked me, and he said, do you think a believer should have a savings account? And so I thought I would just shock him a little bit, and so I said, no, I don't. He said, really? I said, no, I don't believe a believer should have a savings account. I believe he should have five. And I do. And I'm going to show you, I believe you should have. Now, maybe not five different bank accounts. Maybe it could all be in one account or two or three, but five different areas in your budget, at least five, that you're going to say. Let me give you the five. You might want to write them down. First of all, you should have savings for things you want. Savings for things you want. Um, you know, golf clubs, uh, motorcycles. No, let's not say motorcycles. <laughs> let's leave that one out. If, you, if you're going to buy some, some, some things that you want, and it's okay to have things you enjoy on this earth, 
But you're going to have to save for them. Listen to me. Don't buy them on credit. Don't buy a new stereo on credit. Don't buy a new television on credit. Don't buy something you want on credit. If you want it, you're going to have to save for it. You're going to have to put it in the budget and set aside so you can get it and so you can pay cash. If you're going to be a good steward. So, number one, savings for things you want. Number two, savings for things you need. Cars, uh, clothes, college. You probably notice all those begin with C because... I'm just gifted. That's all there's to it. I'm just very gifted. So, and you can put some other things in there if they begin with C. Save savings for things you need. Okay? Here's the third one. Savings for emergencies. This is, this is what I call a buffer. When you first get married, your buffer might only be $1,000. As you continue in marriage and, and go for a few more years, maybe it's 5000 maybe it's 10000 There's some amount that you need to pray about that you will never allow your savings account to get below that amount. Because it is a buffer for emergencies. Here's what the Bible says. It rains on the unjust and the just. Everybody has problems in this world. And you're going to have to save for emergencies. Hopefully, and this is something that's never spent unless it's an absolute emergency. By the way, new shoes do not constitute an emergency. Fourth savings, savings for the future. Proverbs talks a lot about this. You should save for the future. Save for retirement. Save for the future. And the fifth one most people would not even think about, but it's savings for giving. Have you ever saved for like a year and then given everything you saved to the Lord? It's one of the most exciting things you can do. Have you ever given a large amount to God? Have you ever given whatever that large amount for you is? That large amount for you might be $500. It might be 5000 It might be 50000 It might be a million. I don't know. Whatever your large amount is. But have you ever given a large amount to God? But here's something. Let me just ask something. Would you like to? Every one of you would, right? Every one of you would love to say, here's $50,000 that we have saved for 10 years now that we're going to give to the church. Every one of us would like to give a large amount to the kingdom of God. Every one of us. You're not going to ever do it if you don't set it aside, if you don't save. So, fourth commandment, thou shalt be a good steward. Fifth commandment, thou shalt not teach your family that having and spending money is the answer to problems. Thou shalt not teach your family. Fifth commandment, thou shalt not teach your family that having and spending money is the answer to problems. And if you go back to Exodus 20, verse 12 is the fifth commandment. It says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Honor your father and your mother. Now, that's the fifth commandment. Why do I say that the fifth financial commandment goes along with this? This is why. Why did God give us the fifth commandment? Why does God want children to honor their parents? This is why. Because He wants them to honor and respect them. Because in an atmosphere of honor and respect, you learn. And He wants children to learn from their parents. He wants children to learn their values from their parents. And I want you to understand something. Your children will learn their values from you. And when we talk about money, your children will learn how to relate to money by the way you relate to money and by the way you talk about money. And you are not to teach your children that having and spending money is the answer to problems. It is never the answer. God is the answer. Even if you need more finances, God is where finances come from. So money is not the answer. It's God is the answer. 
And you can't take, don't go around saying, well, you know, if daddy just had a better job and we just don't make enough money and we just need more money. If we just had more money, telling your children, if we had more money, we would be happier. That's not true. You're imparting the wrong value to your children when you do that. Look, look at, uh, if you go back to Luke 16, we read verses 10, 11, and 12. Verse 13 says, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I know many of us put the word money in there for mammon. But that's really, if Jesus wanted to say money, he would have said it. He used the word mammon because mammon is an Aramaic word to describe a Syrian god. It is the Syrian god of riches. And even the Jewish people had succumbed to talking about the God of Mammon. And so Jesus comes in and says, listen to me, you cannot serve God and the God of riches. You can't do it. They are in direct contrast to each other. You can't do it. Mammon is looking for servants. Mammon tries to take the place of God. Mammon promises us, think about this, Mammon promises us everything that only God can give us. Mammon says, if you had more money, people would listen to you. If you had more money, you'd have significance in the world. If you had more money, you could live a, a better life and you could ha- you'd be happier. If you had more money, you'd have security. Mammon promises everything that only God can give us. Mammon tries to take the place of God. And this is what Jesus said. You cannot serve, you cannot serve God and Mammon. Let me explain something to you. Mammon is looking for servants. Mammon is looking for servants. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. You can't serve God and mammon. Mammon is looking for servants. Mammon wants to rule. Mammon wants you to look to him and worship him. And mammon wants you to tell your children, if we had more money, we'd be happy. That's what mammon tries to do. Mammon, now listen to me carefully, mammon is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now listen to me. Mammon is the spirit of the Antichrist. If you read the book of Revelation about the Antichrist, listen to what it says. Listen carefully. The Antichrist does not rule through the threat of nuclear war. The Antichrist rules through the threat of you not being able to buy and sell. That's what the Bible says. If you don't take the mark of the beast, if you don't take the mark of the Antichrist, you won't be able to buy and sell. He rules through the threat of money. That's the way he rules. That's the spirit of mammon. So we have to come to the place that we understand we're not going to do that. And please understand, if you teach your children that money is the answer to their problems, they will grow up and they will serve money, they will serve mammon. And listen, according to Jesus then, they won't serve God. According to Jesus. Because Jesus said, you can't serve both. You're going to have to choose. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve mammon. So don't teach your children... That the answer to problems is more money. Now, here's the sixth commandment. Thou shalt take time to budget, plan, and set goals for your finances. Thou shalt take time to budget, plan, and set goals for your finances. Now, when I was looking at these ten commandments and seeing which of the commandments they lined up with, immediately I thought this one lines up with the sixth commandment as well. Verse 13, Exodus 20, the sixth commandment says, You shall not murder. And you say, well, how in the world does not having a budget line up with murder? Because I'm just going to tell you something. If you don't have a budget, you're killing yourself. (laughs) And it is a slow, painful death. 
Anyone can, can anyone relate to that? It is an agonizing death to every month not have enough to be short, to always, to something, so as soon as you get something fixed, and as soon as you get just a little bit of head, something else breaks. You, you ever live that way? It's because you're not planning, it's because you don't have a budget, you don't have any goals. Uh, let me explain something to you. You have to have a goal. The plan is how you're going to reach the goal. And the budget are the guidelines to keep you inside the plan so that you'll reach the goal. Uh, a lot of you have heard my illustration before, and everyone talks about people tell me this, even out in restaurants, they say, I just love your illustration about Mr. Budget. And uh, I, I, what I say is that you, you, when you have a budget, it allows you to make non-emotional decisions about emotional issues. In other words, you let the budget decide. So when your spouse comes to you and says, honey, will you buy this for me? This is the answer. I would love to buy that for you. But let's see what Mr. Budget says. <laughs> oh, Mr. Budget said no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I would buy it for you, but him mean, him mean. He, him not want to buy it for you, see. And by the way, it works both ways. Ladies. You have just as much power at the budget to say, Mr. Budget said no new golf clubs for you this year. You allow the budget to make non-emotional decisions about emotional issues. You have to have a budget. You have to have a plan. You have to set some goals. The reason that most people don't have a, a, a plan, let me tell you what a plan or a budget is. It's a map. It's a map. Where do you want to go? How much money do you want to have in the bank by the time you're 40 years old? If you never set a goal, let me tell you how much you got when you were 40. <laughs> what you, you set, you got as much as you, you set. You set the goal at zero, you got zero. If, if, how much do you want to have when you're 50? Here's another one. How much do you want to have when you're 65? Or here's a good one. How much do you want to give by the time you're 40? Did you know I had a dream when I was 20 years old? In my 20s, I heard that Dr. Chris Holt at First Baptist Dallas gave the church a million dollars. And, and I said to myself, when I was going to sleep that night, Lord, I'd like to give the church a million dollars one day. And in my dream that night, the Lord said to me, I'll tell you how you can do it. From the time you're 20 until you're 30, give this much. From the time you're 30 until you're 40, give this much a year. From the time you're 40 until you're 50, give this much. From the time you're 50 until you're 65, give this much. And it all added up to a million dollars. And so I started on that plan in my 20s to do that. And by the way, I'm way ahead of schedule. Because God has blessed me to do that. So I was thinking, you know, everyone would say, I'd like to give the church a million dollars. If you'll give me, you know, ten million or whatever, then I'll give the church a million. No. Why don't you start right now with what you have? And set a goal that you're going to give so much. You understand what I'm saying? That's what it is. It's a map. Now, here's what's amazing to me. You, you don't know where you're going. You've never been there before. And you don't know how to get there, but you don't think you need a map. You need a map in your finances. Here's the reason most people don't have a budget. It's because they're, they don't know how to write one. And here's the great news for you. You don't have to write one. There are experts that know how to write budgets. We have financial classes here at the church. We have small groups, Crown Financial Services, and we have small groups to help you. You cannot, if you go to Gateway Church and your finances are a mess, you can't blame me. Because I'm providing material for you to be helped in this area. And the only person you can blame is you because you're not availing yourself of this material. So I'm pleading with you. I'm begging with you. As a matter of fact, at the bottom of your sermon notes, it tells you how to get in touch with us if you need help in your finances. That's how much we want to help you. We want to help you set goals. What would you think of a coach 
that never told his basketball team where the goal was or how to shoot the goal. And, and, and then wonder, they wonder why they haven't scored any points, you know. Now, let me tell you something about the reason that most of us don't ask for financial help. And let me tell you a little story. You'll like the story. In seventh grade, I went out for basketball. Um, I, I knew, very humbly speaking, that I was the best basketball player out there. There was no doubt in my mind that I was the best. And uh, so when they said, line up to do layups, the first day of practice, I got first in line. And I was actually thinking, I'm going to do the first layup. And when I finish, the coach is going to say, I want everybody to stop for a minute. Did you see this boy right here do a layup? That is a perfect layup. That's how you do a layup. If you want to be a good basketball player, you need to do like this boy, because this boy is the best basketball player I've ever seen or ever coached in my 20 years of coaching. I just knew that was going to happen. And so he said, okay, first, go. I took off down the court toward the basket. I did not even get to the basket. He said, stop. I thought, man, I've already done such a good job <laughs> that he's going to share with everyone already. I haven't even shot the ball yet. I'm so, my form is just so incredible, it's impressive, you know. He said, go back and do it again, because I want everyone to watch closely what you're doing. So I went back to do it again. And I thought, this is incredible. I'm just, I'm just so good. It's just wonderful, you know. So I take off again to do it. I get, I get down the goal. I haven't even shot. He said, stop. He said, now, I want to ask all of you, where was he looking? And everyone said, the ball. He was looking at the ball. And I thought, you know, I hadn't even thought about that. But that is a good point about my form that he hasn't brought out. That, that's good. And so he said to me, son, look at me. He said, that is the goal. He said, you will never make a goal if you're looking at the ball. He said, you're going to have to learn to dribble where you don't look at the ball, where you look at the goal. And he said, you're never going to be a good basketball player unless you learn where the goal is. Now go to the back of the line. It was a very encouraging moment in my life. By the way, I have been through inner healing for this memory. Anyway, here's the reason that most people don't ask for financial help. Because somewhere along the line, we had a coach or a teacher or a parent or someone like that that did something like that to us. And we know our finances are messed up. But the last thing we want to do is let someone see them. That's the last thing we want to do. And we think, okay, I'll go to one of those small groups. And in the small group, here's what's going to happen. The leaders will say, now everyone get out your checkbook. Now, let's just, Jim, let me see your checkbook. Let me see. My goodness gracious. I want all of you to look at Jim's checkbook. If you want to see a bad checkbook, I want you to look at Jim's checkbook. This is not how you do it. This is horrible. Absolutely horrible. Okay. Listen to me. That's not what we're going to do. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to shame you. If, you, if you're sick, you go to a doctor. If you're financially sick, go to a financial doctor or at least a nurse. Get with someone who can help you. We want to help you in this area of your life. You know why? Because you don't get this area of your life straightened out. It causes marriage problems. It causes health problems. It causes emotional problems. It causes spiritual problems. And yet the principles to be good stewards are right here in the Bible. Let us help you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This message comes from a pastor's heart. It absolutely tears my heart out every time I hear about someone in our body having to file bankruptcy, having to go through, going through difficulties. 
getting a divorce because they, they, they fight over money all the time. I, I, I want you to let us help you in this area. All of us need help. There's not a person here. If, if there's a person here that's a good steward, someone helped him to get to be a good steward. So let us help you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to steward every area of our life and our finances. And Lord, I pray that you would help us whether we have a little or whether we have a lot, that we will glorify you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.